Hi, everybody. Um, good afternoon. My name is Ethan Holda. I'm the director of technology at the Cleveland Museum of Art. This is Cal Aldubeb. He is the founder and chief data scientist at a Cleveland data science company called Pandata. We've been doing a lot of work with them over the last um, couple of, I don't know, year, year and a half. Um, and um, so before I get into what we've been working on, I just want to see a show of hands of, you know, there's a lot of decision makers in the room. Um, how many of you in your process of making decisions or trying to implement something, how often do you step back and say, I, I don't even, is this working? Hands, anyone? Most of you. Um, so how many of you feel confident that you have the information to know how to answer that question? <laughs> <laughs> that fist didn't go up so, quite so quickly that time. Um, so what we've been doing, uh, or how we've tried to arrive at the answer of that question is, um, is by hiring uh, a data scientist to help sift through all of this data that we're collecting. Um, at, at the museum, our mission is, um, is transformative experiences through art for the benefit of all people forever. It's written into the deed when Jephthah Wade donated the property for the museum in 1892. Um, and to be successful in this kind of a mission with um, using your data and everything, you really need to get the support from the highest, highest level. And that's why we're super grateful that our director, Bill Griswold, um, here posing in our Art Lens Gallery is really supportive and really committed, as he said, committed to the use of technology as an interpretive tool. He's also a driving force behind our strategic plan. Um, in 2017, uh, we announced a strategic plan that covers the period from 2018 to 2027. And one of the main focuses of it, it was to make the museum into a, a data-driven institution, to really begin to make data-driven organizations. And, and to really, um, to do that, it would have been impossible without the support of the director and the support of the board of trustees. Um, in, 20, uh, in 2019, we had a record year with 850,000, more than 850,000 visitors. Um, so two years into our strategic plan, um, we were well on our way uh, to our ultimate goal of a million visitors a year. A lot of that was because I glossed over this part. A lot of this was because we had the very huge Kusama exhibition, um, which sold out every single show. Um, so, with over 850,000 visitors, um, we collected a lot of data. But the question is, what is this data telling us? Um, we've been collecting data from the very beginning on all sorts of things. Most notably, um, in 2012, we opened Gallery One. A lot of you have maybe, maybe heard of it, maybe not. Um, a, a, a iterative digital space. Um, for the purpose of building audiences and providing a fun, um, a fun and engaging way to learn about art, to highlight some featured artworks, and also to propel visitors out into the galleries. Um, as an iterative space, we've had a couple of major iterations on it. In 2017, we completely redesigned the whole space, um, got rid of almost all the touchscreens, moved everything to connects and projections. Um, in 2019, we did a complete rotation of the gallery. Um, one of the things, which is now called Art Lens Gallery, there was even a joke about it last night at the Ignite event um, about that name change. And uh, 
the whole thing about it is really intertwining the art with the technology. All of the content that is, or most of the content that's featured in these interactives is actually there in the galleries. Um, and we kind of are encouraging people to look at artworks in a different way using this technology. And we're rotating the galleries every 18 to 24 months. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with it, I'm going to play the short version of our video about what I'm talking about. Um, so, since 2012, we've done a lot of iterative changes. We've changed some of our learning goals, our interpretive goals. Um, we've changed about the way that we work with vendors, the way that we hire and how we partner with them, um, how we train the staff and the role of the staff in that space, um, changing our interactives, developing our back end. We included photogrammetry content in this last version of this. Um, but one of the big things that we're trying to figure out is, how are we evaluating this information? How are, we, how are we deciding if this is a successful space? So to back up from that a little bit, all of this stuff requires a lot of data on our back end. We have a lot of interoperable systems with our collection online. You may have heard of our, our um, open access project, um, our CCMS, our dams. All of this has to be completely tied together, scalable, modular, and most of all, up to date. Um, so by tying this all together and integrating it all, all of this data, we're able to achieve the, the most important thing is to make sure that everything is correct, up to date, all of our interactives update in 15 minutes, could, could even be less if we wanted it to, we arbitrarily decided 15 minutes was good. Um, so with all this data and all the systems, we're really committed to being transparent with our data and what we're doing with our data. Um, Taking, again, the Artlands Gallery as an example, um, we're putting stuff like visitor-created tours on that wall that you saw. Top 10 favorites, top 50 favorites for stuff that people are favoriting through the app or through the wall. Um, I mean, it's just, it's actually just another way of visualizing, visualizing data, visualizing the stuff that the users are putting into our system. Um, and we're also collecting like straight up analytics on a lot of stuff like what are people playing? What artworks are they interacting with? Um, are they playing games more than once? How long are they spending? Um, and um, we're also taking um, some of the games, we take photos and we put them up on this thing called the beacon. It's kind of like our jumbotron. Um, so with all of this, um, the museum's digital strategy really mandates that we become this data-driven organization, um, that, we're, that we're collecting, sharing, and analyzing this data the best we can so that our leadership can make these data-driven decisions, um, that, that they have the tools, basically, so that they can, they can make educated decisions on things like, uh, um, you know, how do visitors use the museum? Um, what are their needs? What are their things they enjoy? Are those the same thing? Are they not the same thing? Are we doing those things? And 
that's really like now that we have access to all the data, we can begin to answer those questions. Um, the original gallery one was a huge success back when it was gallery one, and and um, you know it really we there was we've had directors from museums all over the world coming to visit. Um, you know we have our, our early metrics showed an increase these increases in attendance. Um, and I actually worked on it as a director of technology at my previous job at Local Projects since 2011. So I can tell you um, it's really great when people like stuff, but it's also, um, is it working? We don't know. We have these goals. Is it working? Um, so as the space had just opened, we didn't really have any concrete ways of, of, of telling this. And our in-house evaluation team did a survey in 2013. Um, the results of it did not come out until 2015, and um, being an iterative space, we had already kind of iterated out of all of what would be relevant through that. But there were some interesting takeaways from that early um, evaluation. We found that um, in trying to measure engagement, we found that we had this lens about 1930s art, and we found that that had the longest period of engagement. It was a medium of two minutes, and that was an interactive where you pressed a button and you saw a two-minute video. So um, you can kind of figure that out, whereas the thing that people really seemed to love was the game, the sculpture game that matched your pose with a sculpture, and the interaction time was like 10 seconds. So not as much engagement, but what is that telling us? Um, in 2018, we were actually, or 2017 rather, uh, we were actually fortunate enough to receive an NEA grant to do a, a deeper, to take our same analytics team and do a deeper dive into, um, into the success of this space and the impact of spaces like this in general. And there's actually um, Hannah Ridenauer and uh, Elizabeth Bolander from uh, CMA have a great paper on this that's available on our website and I encourage you to all check it out. Um, so some of the things that we found is 36% of the participants people who participate in this evaluation went into Artlands. But that, we couldn't really tell, like, well, were they, what were they doing next, if anything? Um, were they only going into Artlands? And did they accomplish any of our educational goals? Um, Self-selecting, they, they said that they did have a greater, a greater understanding of art and a greater interest in the collection. But were they going out into the galleries? We kind of had no way of knowing. So in the old days, we used to have guards count people in the entrance of each gallery. <laughs> click, click, click. And they're like, guards have more to do than just count people. So we decided we needed a little bit, something a little bit more rigorous. So we used this system called TRAPSYS, these infrared sensors that actually measure traffic flow in and out of spaces. And they have all this data gets captured into a backend that has an API that allows us to generate dashboards and integrate it with all of our other data. And what we found was we were undercounting by 75,000 visitors a year. And the response to that was the technology must be broken. So, um, so because the essence of doing anything with data is trusting the data. We put, took our own staff and had them sit in these galleries doing nothing all day. They weren't security guards, so they were just <laughs> click, 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 click. And the variance was like, would be like two people, one person. So we actually could verify that this was, this was the good data, and now all of our internal and external reports are generated using the traffic data from these. Um, 
So we spend a lot of time and effort on counting people, but, um, but that's not really all we need to know. We need to know where people are going, how long they're staying, um, where they're gonna go next, and are they learning? Are they, are they hitting these educational goals? So our next sort of iteration on this kind of study is we implemented the Meraki, uh, the Cisco Meraki. It's a cloud-based system that uses wireless access points so that any wireless antenna on a phone, a laptop, a tablet is collected from this system, whether they're on our network or not. And we hired a local data science firm since this creates, this is, this is millions of points of data every day. We hired a local data science firm, Pandata, to um, tell us what all this means because we, we knew we had a lot of data and we didn't know what to do with it. And the question was, do we have big data? So as a uh, data science consulting firm, we get asked a lot or told a lot, we have some big data, can you help us? And it's 100,000 rows that just doesn't fit into Excel. Um, and so in this case, they were generating 10 to 15 million data points a week, uh, representing the roughly 15,000 plus visitors that were coming into the space. And just to give you a sense of the scale, uh, this system has over 100 different uh, Meraki routers throughout the museum that are viewing the same device multiple different times um, as it traverses through the space. And so it's creating lots of data, but this data is inherently noisy. And so um, after they had rolled out the system, there, were a lot, there was a lot of objection internally from the evaluation team just because uh, there was a lot of, of, of noise and lack of trust. Um, and so some of the questions that we had to address is how do we translate these noisy estimates of where the devices are into true paths through the museum? How do we understand what a visitor is from a count of devices observed? And how do we build trust in the system so that we can start to adopt it as a means to answer some of these questions? So one of the first things we looked at was um, we're seeing way many more devices than we know there are visitors in the space. And so here's a little chart that shows the count of unique devices. This was just a random cut from a week um, based on how long they spent in the space. And so what you'll see is all the way on the left, there's this large column of more than 10,000 devices that spent less than 10% of a minute. Uh, and that just doesn't make any sense. So the Cleveland Museum of Art is actually on a campus shared by a, um, a private university, Case Western Reserve University. And these were students walking on their way to class that were getting picked up, um, and randomly the Wi-Fi router would see them. Um, but there's also this red line where there were quite a few visitors that spent 10 minutes at the museum. And if any of you have seen the space, it's a very large space. Who spends 10 minutes at a museum? Those same students were using the free museum to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I would know because I was one of those students at one point. <laughs> And so what we found was around 20% of all the devices we were picking up were actually visitors in the space. About 1% of them, based on the days they were there and how long they were spending there, were staff. Um, and we were able to rule out which devices to ignore and which devices to focus on. So I have a cartoon image here of what this process looks like. So at any given time, two or more routers will spot a person. And for now, let's just say a device is a person. Each one of these routers is going to give you, I think this person's here, and I'm this confident in my estimate of where the person is. And so we then take that data and we turn it into our own estimate. Okay, we're pretty sure based on these three different observations, this person's here and we have our own confidence around it. And what we build up over time is this series of points and observations with different degrees of certainty. And that allows us to build a path. Now, something in here doesn't look 
and I know this because I've been in this space a lot, um, going from point 0.4 to 5 like that is impossible because that's a giant wall. In fact, you can't get to point 0.4 because uh, that is outside. Um, and so we had to start to deal with some of these issues within the data and use the relative confidence of these different observation points to, to say, no, this is likely how the person traveled through the path. Um, and we had, of course, maps of the various different galleries in the museum, and then we were able to take that path that we inferred um, and turn that into gallery-level intelligence, where we were able to, to pinpoint this person was in this space at this time, uh, and we can start to treat it a little bit like you would treat website analytics. The next question was, what is a visitor? Um, as a free museum with limited ticketing events, it's very difficult to actually get at that count. And so one of the things we did is we took advantage of the mix event, uh, which happens once a month um, on a Friday. And it's a ticketed event. And we looked at the number of unique devices showing up versus the number of tickets that were scanned. And I love it when things work out like this. It was a very simple, straightforward relationship. And the magic number is two. Two visitors for every one device observed. Um, it's fascinating that it was that easy. Um, so now, how do we get this data into the hands of decision makers? We created this awesome dashboard, and it was really exciting to finally be able to say, hey, we can count the number of people in the spaces and how long they were spending in the spaces. Um, and it was even more exciting when we could see these moving dots, um, and we could actually track visitor paths throughout the space, except no one was able to make decisions off of these dashboards. Data solutions fail without trust, and we skipped that first initial trust-building step. And so whenever we talk about using data science, um, there's, there's two processes. The first is experimentation, and that's addressing questions like, what is a visitor? How do we deal with this noise? What is a path? What's dwell time? Um, but then there's the other half of it, which is operationalization, and it's taking the results of that experiment and translating it into a meaningful tool that is actually used by the relevant decision makers. And you know it's working when business decisions are being made as a result. So um, we started to address this question um, right after the, uh, the Kusama exhibition. Um, there was a, you know, wanting to understand, okay, we know 36% of visitors go into the Artland space, but did that change when we had the special exhibition that had a huge amount of people coming to the museum, but just going to that specific exhibit? Um, can we find that in the Meraki data? And so we went and we looked, and in the yellow highlighted period there, um, there was a notable dip in the percent of people going to Artland's gallery, and we shared this with the evaluation team. And for the first time, we got back this response of, well, we already knew that. We told them something very boring, but that was the first time they did not object to the data that was being used in this tool. And so then we were able to go to the next step and show them something new that we were able to identify with this Meraki data. And that's the average amount of time people were spending in Artland's gallery. And so we built trust by giving them something boring and taking it to the next level and showing them something that actually has some really interesting patterns here. And there are clearly some days where there's a lot more time being spent within this space. So I want to highlight the study Ethan had just talked about that of the people who went to Artland's gallery, they reported that their, their perception of what they learned about art was greater than people who didn't. Uh, we wanted to see if there was a story that corroborated that within the Meraki data. And so we took a cross-section of visitors from July 2018 through December 2018. Um, and we found that 177,000 visitors did not 
spend any meaningful time in Artlands Gallery. Um, and on average, they spent about 2.2 hours in the museum. And that next chart that's down there, um, what it's showing you is essentially if all the unique devices captured, how many of them went into a specific space. And what you'll notice here is they weren't going to that many spaces, and there's a handful of them that are just very, very red. Um, and that was largely dominated by the Kusama exhibition. They were going to the special exhibition space and spending well over an hour there, but they weren't really going to that many other spaces. Interesting. Uh, we decided to look at the people who did go into Artlands Gallery. There were 82,000 visitors who went into Artlands, and they spent about 12 minutes longer on average in the museum, which is interesting, but I don't know if it's that meaningful. Um, however, they interacted with almost four times as many spaces. That's fascinating. We wanted to take this to the next level. What about the people who are spending a significant amount of time in Artlands Gallery? And so there were 37,000 visitors who spent more than five minutes. Um, and these individuals were very interesting. They spent almost 36 minutes on average longer in the museum. They were going to even more spaces and spending even more time in them. And there's just one little box I like to highlight. That's the cafe. They're probably spending more money too. <laughs> so I want to repeat that again. Visitors who are spending more than five minutes on average in Artlands Gallery were spending 35 minutes longer in the museum. We've since refined this estimate to be closer to an hour. That's really meaningful. Now we can start asking some really interesting questions like, does the selection of the objects in Artlands Gallery influence behaviors in the museum? We're able to connect the Google Analytics data that we have on the different gameplays that are happening within Artlands, uh, relate them back through the open access data set to the home department that they come from, and correlate that with the data we have on people going to these different spaces and the amount of time they're spending in the respective galleries. The Cleveland Museum of Art has one of the, the best collections of, of Asian art in the world. Unfortunately, it is one of the least trafficked areas in the museum, and so we can start to look at experiments like does selecting Asian art and putting them in Artlands Gallery influence people's choices in the galleries they go to? Um, we haven't done this experiment yet, but now that we can connect these two data sets together, we can really start to answer some powerful questions. So I'm gonna make a prediction here and guess what's on all of your minds? What about privacy? <laughs> um, especially with regulations like GDPR and the more recent one, California Consumer Protection Act, and other states soon to follow suit, personally identifiable information is top of mind. And as it turns out, a MAC address, which is what we're tracking, the unique identifier of a device, um, is how we're able to connect all this data together. Um, built into this process is an encryption algorithm that basically takes the device and it scrambles it because we don't care. We don't need to know it was you or your device that we observed. All we need to know is that a device spent five minutes in Artlands Gallery and they spent an hour longer and there were a hundred more devices like that. So we're never able to actually reverse back out from the data what device it was. And there are processes and controls in place uh, to be able to have someone opt out, whether it is through the Cisco Meraki website um, or by um, get letting us know what their MAC address is and we can use the same encryption algorithm, find all the records related to it and delete the data. So what comes next? All right. Thanks. Um, so Cal mentioned very briefly open access and in a nutshell that's what comes next. Um, 
we, in January of this year, launched our open access initiative, um, which encompasses a whole lot of things. I'm going to play a, a fast video just to kind of give an overview of what we did with that. So I debated whether to include that or not because it's long, and also I do not like the song. But um, the song is released under CC0, and we're purists. So, um, so our director, Bill Griswold, um, said at the live stream of our launch that, that this is a, the logical and exciting outgrowth of, of CMA's inclusive mission that we mentioned earlier to create transformative experiences through art for the benefit of all people forever. And having a somewhat established history of being a leader, um, a leader in digital technology and multimedia stuff for museums, we're really trying to model a best practice for, um, for museums going to do open access. Um, so what are we trying to solve with open access? I mean, a lot of people, uh, we have a great collection. We know we have a great collection. The world doesn't know that Cleveland has a great art museum, and even if they did, they might not ever find themselves in Cleveland and in our art museum. So how do we reach, how do we reach a broader audience? And how do we get all of our information, this is all of the data that we're releasing through open access, and some of it's really exciting to us because it's stuff like citations, provenance, stuff that we weren't previously releasing to the public before, and a lot of museums aren't doing it either. Um, when we launched in January, we, um, we partnered, as you saw in the video, we partnered with a lot of companies like Microsoft, American Greetings, um, Pandata. Um, Pandata did this actually really interesting. I wanted to get Cal to talk about it, but we're super short for time. Um, but they did, um, they applied machine learning to the didactics and scholarship in our collection to um, create these similarities of groupings using a T-SNE, T-SNE yeah. algorithm? TSNE algorithm um, to, to re really explore how we talk, the language of how we talk about art. Um, we incorporated all this information into our collection, redesigning our collection, um, making all this available, all this information available for people who don't know how to use APIs. But for people who do know how to use APIs, we made that available and we had people immediately doing things like creating these great Twitter bots, um, games, 
Um, this is actually the, a, a data hackathon, the results of a data hackathon in Houston where people did things like, um, like uh, finding similarity, similar, uh, the most popular colors, predominant colors in our print collection. Um, and it also allowed us to integrate with Wikimedia. And what we found in integrating with Wikimedia is over a four-month period, for instance, we were getting over 10 times as many people looking at artworks in our collection than, than were just coming to our website. And they were looking at different stuff. This is the top 10 of, from our website. This is, you know, very predictable. It's kind of our greatest hits here with the Caravaggio and the water lilies. Um, this is the top 10 from, from the English version of Wikipedia. Um, I didn't even know that we had that hedgehog. Um, they're also looking at different aspects of our collection. This is a, this is a not to scale, but relative um, bubble chart of, of what departments they're looking at. Um, that's decorative arts and design. By far the most popular thing that people are looking at from our collection on, on Wikimedia, and it doesn't, even, it doesn't even rate getting a number in the chart on the right that represents our, um, our collection online. Same thing with Egyptian art. So as we said, we, we learned that the Kusama exhibition helped us to get to this, get closer to this goal of one million visitors a year. And what we're really hoping is how do we, how do we use open access or how do we even see how open access is, is um, affecting physical attendance? Um, we know people are engaging with it, they're using the API, people are seeing this stuff, but is it actually affecting um, physical attendance and engagement in the museum? We don't know yet, and that'll probably be our topic for next year. So, um, any questions? Go ahead, in the back. That's a really good question. Can I grab the mic? Oh. I don't know. Does that one work? Hello? OK, this works. Because I asked him that question. <laughs> and he gave us that so, information. So that's a really good question. What we did as a comparison, right, does anyone who spend five minutes on average in any space mean that they're going to spend longer in the museum overall? And so what we did is we took some of the most popular departments and we benchmarked what that looked like there. So if you spent more than five minutes in another department or another culture versus, um, you know, Artlands Gallery, what was the effect on staying longer in the museum? And so, yes, there was some impact, but nowhere near as significant as those who spent five minutes or longer in Artlands Gallery. And we found that to be one of the most impactful spaces. You're right, though, to ask the question, correlation versus causation. We can never assert that it's what caused it, but there's something very interesting to be said about the behavior that's related to that correlation. No, well, we, that's a great question. Um, were we able to? No, we didn't, and we didn't because. And or do you think we can? I think, I think we could. I think when we were actually initially analyzing that, we were finding people who were in the, um, the store and people who were in the hallway behind the store couldn't be, get captured, and in the hallway behind the store is the elevators. So we were getting kind of both as one sort of blob of data, and we just didn't have the confidence to do anything with it. 
Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. So okay. one of our, our biggest limitations is the, the, the physical properties of the museum and, of course, walls and things that you can't get rid of. Um, and so the Wi-Fi sometimes gets interference, and that restricted um, the, the difference between granularity and really trying to map out every small nuanced space versus statistical strength of reliability. Yes, we can tell you with a lot of accuracy there was someone here, and so we had to draw some boundaries that were not ideal. And so some of those questions we couldn't address. What do you mean by from an empathy point of view? Right, and it's a, it's a great question, and it's one that we're still trying to address because what what we've been doing kind of up into this point is getting is is getting the numbers, but we're like through this yet, except for things like um, what Cal was talking about with looking at what collections they're looking at, there's not really a whole lot that so far we've been able to do with intent, which I think is kind of what you're getting at. So yeah, we're still, we're still kind of figuring out how to do that. Well, there, we pre it was a, it was it's a long process because as we mentioned at, at at certain points throughout, it's it's getting getting them to trust the data, um, and and then yeah, it is a it is a question of getting them to getting them to use it, and I think once once they trust the data, they're they're more willing to to see how there's these relationships and getting it getting it to a point. I mean, there's not always a, an A and B. Where oh we saw this we saw this great dashboard so um, we we're gonna do this exhibition and not that that exhibition it's not always that simple but they're definitely coordinating um, coordinating with us and we're off, like we have we have so many requests to my department for for this type of data that we've had to start I've had to start telling my staff like you guys have to stop just giving we need to do this in a more organized way you can't just start. Just, just giving as much as you want transparency, you have to be, you know, you have to be efficient with how you're distributing this data. One of the lessons learned that I'd like to share, just related to that, is initially that that very beautiful dashboard that was useless. Um, <laughs> what made a big difference was once we get to this point where we really started to understand the nature of the decisions that were being made around this data is we set up a monthly meeting where it was just literally, okay, we're gonna open up the dashboard, we're gonna look at it together, and we're gonna start asking some questions to try to understand how this can be more useful, and that's how we arrived at that ultimate design. How do you correlate the results between the things that people were searching for in ArtLens and where they landed in life? So there, the, what, um, the analytics that surrounds the ArtLens plays is, <coughs> basic Google Analytics, and so it tracks, it's not tracking an individual person, but it's tracking at this lens an object was played with, um, and it has the, um, the, the identifying- Accession number. The accession number, thank you, uh, that you can then attribute back to the culture department, and then we had to bridge the gap. So we have analytics on one side that's linked to galleries that are tied, fortunately, to very specific uh, departments, and we correlated those two data sets together to start looking at that. So it's not a specific person uh, played with this and then their phone ended up in the Asian collection, but rather um, there was an uptick of people playing with objects from the Asian collection in Artlands Gallery and we also observed more people 
uh, going to the Asian department. Within, within a week period, we looked at it in week-long increments. Thanks. Um, a long time, um, and and the I mean the, the one thing about you know talking specifically I mean I don't know if you're just referring to the Artland stuff or to the the um, the Meraki stuff. Um, yes, both. <laughs> um, the Artland's gallery. Uh, I mean we it launched in December of 2012, and we've been for the last seven or whatever, seven and a half years have been iterating on it, and every iteration costs money and takes time. Um, and that's a lot, of, a lot of the efficiencies there is what I mentioned about iterating on how we collaborate and partner with vendors and making that, uh, th those, those better and more efficient partnerships. Um, and then when it comes to stuff like the Meraki, um, that's th that's really just a you know a capital and operating decision of like well we need to have Wi-Fi in here so let's do let's do it this way and then we can get all this other stuff so way in the back. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's yeah, that's a really great yeah, creating creating that creating that feedback loop because you show yeah, you show the top ten and then people favorite stuff that's in the top ten and then it stays in the top ten. And that's that is actually something so we, we with a lot of the on the wall, for instance, the themes rotate through. Um, and we we made conscious decisions in the development of those themes to be like, you know, obviously the top ten is the top ten, but for everything else, like let's let's not put Monet's water lilies in a theme because you know that'll create that sort of a feedback loop. I hope that answers your question. Um, in the middle of the room, the hand. Went, oh. <laughs> I appreciate you bringing up the PII stuff. I wanted to ask: Are you? My assumption is that uh, with the with the uh, methodology to use the MAC address to kind of uh, scramble forms, you're able to identify recent visitors or someone comes a week late. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. But we but don't know who yeah. they are. Um, right. It's, a, it's just a 16-digit or something hash. But related to that, though, one limitation is that devices change over time. And so what we've noticed is that you know the average turnover is somewhere between 12 to 18 months, is, and we won't see that device again. Um, so one of the things that we've struggled with is identifying true repeat visitors. However, first time devices have distinctively different patterns. And so there's a lot of fascinating analytics that you could do to compare that behavior, those behavior groups. So we're starting on that journey, but I've been told they're changing the technology so there will be no more MAC addresses. So what are you thinking about as a replacement for veteran MAC? I mean, I'm not sure yet because a lot of it is, you know, we rely on what the, what the technology does. And we had, you know, for instance, we had a, a, a similar issue with this um, when we first rolled out our, our mobile app and there was a wayfinding component of it that was dependent on the on programmatically getting the MAC address actually from the phone 
And then Apple decided, well, we don't want to let you do that anymore. Um, so we had to figure something else out. So it's, I, we're pretty confident that there's, that there's, and especially, I mean, Meraki, this is a big product for them. Um, so I'm sure that once, you know, if there's some sort of end user thing that they'll, that they'll figure it out. So something similar that's on the marketplace is instead of just passively monitoring our um, social login uh, permissions to get on the Wi-Fi network, so that's it requires a little bit more engagement from the user, but it says, okay, you want to use our Wi-Fi network, uh, please give us your email address or please log in with Facebook. And so what it does is it, it bypasses that need to be able to detect the MAC address. You get fewer uh, connections that way or observations that way, but there are still ways and tools around that that involve consent. That is a fascinating question. Mm -hmm. So uh, the data does exist to do that. We have not yet done that in this context. You should do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, the way this whole project started was, you know, is it working, right? That's been the constant question throughout the project, and there have been a lot of false starts on the questions we've tried to answer with this data. And so the entire project has been iterative um, in its nature. One of the most impactful things I think we started to do once we built trust in the system was our monthly meeting. Um, and that, you know, we haven't been doing that the past couple months because we've been preparing for this, but... <laughs> Um, you know, w once we get back to that, what's happened is we start to ask these questions. Well, can we look at that? Does the data exist? What's the value in answering that question? And so having the data science voice there with the decision maker voice there and the people who understand um, the so what is really what's driving what we can do with these research questions. And so it's an ongoing process. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Um, thanks a lot. <laughs>